Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Welcome to the Electrify News Podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, America's largest e-mobility festival coming to five major cities in 2022. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back to the Electrify News Podcast. I'm Matt Teske with Joe Boris. We've got, we've been chatting as always in advance of uh, hit the record button. Lots of uh, political news to talk about. I lots think. lots of lots of emotionally charged conversation. Exactly. Ooh, emotionally charged. Any kind of charging is good, but emotionally Any, charged wow. is so good. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> that could be charged away like 2.0. You just like, it just sends you stuff that really irritates you. And it's just to, emo- charges, to emotionally yeah, charge you. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's like anything that will trigger somebody via mobile app, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but but being triggered via mobile app is kind of what we've seen with the news in the last week. Uh oh. mainly mainly being uh the what the Inflation Reduction Act. Again, change the name of something. It's amazing how you can get more people on board, right? Change the name of something and it's amazing how many people you can get on board. That that's absolutely true. So the the big news, we touched upon this a little bit last week. And this is going to kind of renew that $7,500 tax credit for brands like Toyota, GM, Tesla, who have reached that 200,000 unit mark and are no longer eligible for that. So it's going to continue for them. Um, But it's also going to be applied in a weird way. Like you can now apply it to plug in hybrids, which we'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, if you're looking for winners and losers in this thing, it seems like Tesla wins big seems like Toyota GM both win big and Rivian just gets kicked right in the pants. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the $80,000 threshold piece uh, for yeah, the fact that they are over that means that they're not going to be in a position where they can have their customers take advantage of this, um, which is odd because right now they can take advantage of the $7,500 rebate because it's not price capped, right? It's, it's, it's quantity, you know, volume cap. So, uh, and, but again, you know, GM, they kind of fall under the same, you know, issue with, you know, Hummer, for example, but Lyric, Lyric fits into that vein. So. Sure, sure. But there you're also looking at a company that's making, you know, that are, they're going to be able to sell a, a, a Chevy Bolt, for example, for what, 20 Blazer grand? Bolt, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Blazer, yeah. the Equinox. And, you know, there's also something here to be said for, you know, vehicles like the the Mazda MX-30 when it comes out with the range extender or even the Prius Prime that wasn't necessarily getting that big rebate. They're going to be able to start getting that now. But there's well, a caveat. It was, getting, it was getting a portion of the rebate, right? So because right. the, current, the current rebate being, you know, it's based on battery size. There's a calculation around it. So it wasn't getting the full 7,500, but on certain cars you could get 4,500 or 3,800, right? So sure. it, there's still been a benefit. But yeah, this this new way of calculating it is going to get kind of weird. <laughs> Well, you were telling me, and I actually didn't know this ahead of time. You were telling me that the the threshold now is a seven kilowatt hour battery for a plug-in hybrid. That's a teeny tiny battery. Well, that's an example of of where this threshold is going. So the threshold is is the way the math is being done. It's not even really math as much as it's about mineral sourcing and battery development and production. That's really the primary benefit now behind what's happening with this credit or rebate. And so, but the example of the seven kilowatt hour battery still being able to see a full $7,500 rebate, you're looking at this going, yeah, that's, that's not even as good as what we have now when it comes to what the vehicle can actually do from electrification 
it's it, it, the, the, the goalposts have been really moved around for what actually applies to getting that value from a manufacturing perspective, as opposed to a drivability perspective. If that makes sense. Do you think that I want to word this carefully. Do you think we're going to see more legacy brands come out with small battery pack plug-in hybrids in order to take advantage of this basically unlimited tax credit and continue making vehicles that are maybe, you know, like the Jeep four by E or the, you know, the Volvo XC 90 recharge, these kind of vehicles that have these tiny batteries that now qualify for this big hit, you know, are, do you think we're going to start seeing these things shoehorned into platforms that maybe were not originally designed for that outlet just to keep them cost competitive. That, I mean, that's a great point. And, and, and maybe that was part of the inspiration for, you know, for how this was written this way. Um, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I mean, I, you I, know that like Ford and GM had, they had, maybe they didn't write it, but they had someone whispering over the shoulder of some of these <laughs> guys. Right. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Schumer and Manchin that, that, that agreed upon you know, all this terminology and uh, yeah, you're, you're correct there. I'm sure from a lobbyist perspective, um, but no, this is an interesting point because one of the things that's been very you know, widely talked about in the industry is what is the effectiveness of a plug-in hybrid? How many people are actually using it by plugging it in regularly and driving mostly on electricity in city, but then using gas on the highway? That's been a conversation that's been you know widely discussed because a good example is Chevrolet Volt owners. They were basically never using their combustion engine, the generator that was right. on board in the Volt. That was part of the reasoning from the data that GM had for why they decided to just say, we're not going to build the Volt anymore. We're just going to focus on pure electric. So I I personally believe there's a lot of room for plug-in hybrids. I think that the messaging and how people understand how to use it still needs to be updated because I think most people, for example, there's people that are leasing the the, the Jeep 4xe because the lease deal on it was so good. But then when people that saw their neighbors that got one would say, Oh, you're, you must be plugging it in all the time. And they would say, what are you talking about? I never plugged this thing in. They, yeah. They, or some of them didn't even know it was a hybrid. Right. Right. They're just kind of like, I just thought it was a really cheap Jeep, you know? And so there's, and there's not a lot of data being reported against how many of those vehicles are actually being plugged in and used that way. So I think that that's really, this is a, a use case for consumers, right? Is, but isn't it better? To like, isn't it like take off the topic of, is it good enough or is it as good as we would like it to be? You know, mm-hmm. it, isn't it better? Like if we just turned every internal combustion vehicle into a mild hybrid or, or you know, essentially a mild hybrid with a plug well, and yeah, yeah a, a mild hybrid with a plug. Cause that's all you're really getting out of seven or eight kilowatt batteries. Right. But you know, if we then increase the fuel economy of every mainstream internal combustion vehicle out there by 10 or 15, or, or sometimes in the real world, 20, 30% of people who are doing mostly short trips around town that leave it in that EV mode, you know, mm-hmm. isn't that better? Isn't that millions and millions of gallons of less fuel being burned? I mean, I think we sure. can be, we can find a way to be happy with that and say, we still want more and there still needs to be more done, but like, yeah. this is good. This is like, okay, you know, you, you didn't go to the gym, but you jogged around the block and that's a start. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Uh, (laughs) No, but I I think you bring up a valid point. Is that is that with with what Toyota proved with the Prius in the last you know twenty five years is that 
is that every single platform could be developed into a hybrid model that if it's designed the right way and you improve energy, not energy efficiency, but, you know, but fuel efficiency, that you reduce the amount of gas we're using and therefore you reduce emissions. There's obviously a lot of, of evidence to show that. I think that, again, there's still this, this, this gap for consumers understanding how it all works. And hybrid as a concept has been seen as like this, you know, nerd car by many. Oh, yeah. When in, rea- when in reality, it is, I mean, again, if it's a really well-designed hybrid truck or a plug-in hybrid truck that actually had a sizable enough battery that could provide ample use on the battery for daily driving, but then use gas for towing, that's, that's ideal, right? I mean, it really... Yeah, could, it, that's, ex- it, it that's could, exactly right. Yeah, because for those people, that there's a lot of argument being made right now around how electric trucks are not yet ready for prime time when it comes to towing capacity and how far they can go. But if you could say your brand new Silverado plug-in hybrid gets 40 miles of electric range when you're just doing your daily around town stuff. But when you go to haul the trailer, you just use your gas. That is an ideal use case, but it then requires having that person really leverage plugging in at home. Or for example, if they don't have a home, how do they plug in away from home if they're you know parking on the street, it's so it's still that element of how do we help them understand how they take advantage of the platform? Yeah, uh, but don't you think gap- that towing argument? It's it's a good thing that you brought up. I you know I got, I got into it earlier, literally today. I got into it with this guy that on on LinkedIn because like now LinkedIn is just a social media yelling platform. Apparently, <laughs> it's not as bad, but it's it has its moments. It, it has its moments, right? So you know this guy's saying, well, this just proves that electric trucks are never going to work. And I was like, this is the dumbest argument I've ever heard because it's a question of the right tool for the right job, right? Like if you have three kids and your job is to shuttle the three kids and all their sports gear to soccer practice, the Ferrari California is not the car for you. (laughs) That's not to say that like internal combustion is never going to work because it doesn't meet this one use case. It just doesn't meet that one use case, dude, buy a minivan. So like to to sit here and argue and, and kind of slice this up over you know, oh, it only has a hundred mile range. How many people are regularly towing a heavy trailer more than a hundred miles a day every day where this is going to be a problem? And for that oh, yeah. little sliver of Americans where that's a real problem, buy a diesel. I don't care. It's like guys who well, want to go drag racing and defeat their emissions. Let's say there's a thousand of them. We're talking about 300 million Americans who are yeah. burning gas. Like these, these thousand guys are not going to make a difference. You know, it's, it's every time we, we have conversations about these use case you know, scenarios and, and what's happened with new vehicles coming to market. And even the discussion now was happening with the, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act and, and how it's being framed. I, I, I always come back to the fact that we have to do a better job of helping the public understand how these products fit into their life. If it was an easier way to convey it, then an easier way to explain it, I think we'd see more people saying, why would I say no? I would love, I would love to, and I, and I say this, this is, this is ready for this as an elevator pitch, like Uh sit down, get comfortable, let it flow through you. Let it, let it, I want to have an, an EV information desk that someone can go to who is just shopping whatever EV and they, and they have someone who's not trying to sell them an EV, just ask questions and have Mm -hmm. like, and, and like, honestly, your platform chargeway is perfect for this because you have someone Mm -hmm. come in and say, Hey, where do you want to drive this thing? What are your concerns? Oh, you're concerned about, 
you know, loading up your family and driving to go see grandma four hours away. This is the route you would take. This is how you would charge. This is what that looks like. What other can, Oh, you're driving to work. This is what that looks like. And just literally with the app open on a shared screen, go through it with them. The only problem is, you know, that would have to be like some kind of free service or paid for by one of the manufacturers. Right. Well, you're right. Yeah. Who would fund this? Right. Well, actually this, this gets, this gets to a point of, what other resources are certain entities trying to bring to the table to help people with these types of questions, right? Um, there's obviously nonprofit groups that have provided these types of services for a long time. Uh, automakers are trying to get into this space. Uh, GM has their, their EV Live uh, resource uh, that, frankly, I, I called it and used it just and asked g- general questions that I know an average person might have. And unfortunately, it was, yeah, there, there was a lot of misinformation that was provided. Um, and, yeah. and so there's still, a, there's still a gap even there for how much information the people that are in positions of, of influence can have. Um, so, well, you I, need I to have, I mean, you know, I, I, just my opinion, right. Like I'm, I'm whoever I am. Right. I think it's got to come from the utilities because they are ultimately the ones that are selling the electricity. And I think that mm-hmm. the, the biggest problem with the utilities have is for 120 years, they have just been able to just sit back and people come to them and say, we need electricity in the house. But if you look at like the early Edison days, and if you look at the advertisements and like, you know, the, the New York post, right. And at the turn of the century, at the turn of the last century, the conversation is electricity. You need to buy it. It's cleaner. It's better. Whale oil stinks, you know, and (laughs) they were, they were selling electricity to people because it was not a given that you quote unquote needed electricity. So we're kind of in the same boat, right? Because we're selling a vehicle based on its fuel. It's like being a proponent of biodiesel or a diesel guy, right? Like you're marketing this whole thing based on the fuel that goes into it. But the manufacturer of that fuel, the utility company is like a silent entity here. And they really need to step up their game when it comes to answering these questions and being a neutral party that can be trusted by both sides because they don't, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you know, they don't care what EV you buy. They right. may not they're even agnostic. care if you buy it. Yeah. They're completely agnostic and everyone, whether it's the dealer, the manufacturer or the end user is buy is already buying their product. So they have yep. nothing to lose and they are in a perfect, perfect position to do what the public wants them to do, which is, lead the conversation and lead the policy on energy. They're supposed to be the energy providers. Why are they not taking charge of this narrative and kind of telling that story? No, I I mean, what you just expressed is is oftentimes a conversation we have with utility partners we work with through Chargeway and helping them explain how to use electricity as a fuel type in a way that's easy to understand. Some of the hangups that are occurring with regard to certain utilities is oftentimes they are basically in a position where they may not be able to explain and express and sell electricity a certain way through their, through their communications to the public because of public utility commissions and how they're basically mandated for how they can communicate because they have monopolies essentially. And so it is designed in such a way that they have to be mindful about how they talk about it. So part of what we're discussing is not even so much so that the utilities may not be understanding, but they may be in a position where they actually can't step up and make those conversations happen. Best example would be Southern California Edison. They filed uh, with the, the, this, the PUC in California to have a very large campaign around education, outreach, and engagement with the public. And the Public Utility Commission of California essentially cut it down by like 90% and wow. said, you can't do that. 
And if you want to do it, we'll let you spend X dollars on doing so. So what could have been a very strong outreach got basically shut down by politics and by, and by a system that we have set up in the way that it is. So this is um, a deep conversation that has to happen in the energy sector as to how, because we do know the role they play, how do they do a better job uh, basically navigating the existing you know, barriers they might have within their own industry? So what about these local organizations? Cause like there are energy co-ops, there are community solar mm-hmm. programs, things like that. Is there a, is there a way for people who listen to this, who are part of a you know local co-op or community energy system? Is there a way for them to kind of reach out to that utility provider and say, Hey, this is your role. This is what you need to do. Oh, I think, I think consumer advocacy is huge. I mean, if, I mean, frankly, if you, if anybody listening thinks that they can't have a voice to change how things might go in the world, uh, look no further than what John Stewart did this week on behalf of veterans. I mean, John Stewart has a platform and has a voice, but he was able to change and shape commentary within the public eye and the public sphere around what was happening in relation to the PACT Act, the PACT Act. Uh, that was going to be supporting veterans. So say packed act five times. I can't, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good example of when, when you really do get the right message in front of the public and they begin to fundamentally understand, Hey, wait a minute. Like this is something that would benefit people that need X, Y, and Z. And if that benefit, for example, let's say electrification and you know, electricity is a fuel type for both vehicles, trucks, micromobility, you name it is a fundamental benefit to everyone. And if the people that produce that electricity are not able to do what they need as it relates to getting that information out to the public faster, I think there's argument there to be made around how we could sway the conversation. Um, And these conversations help that. So I think nonprofits have done as much as they can. There needs to be some more powerful entities out there swaying this conversation. If Um, only we had some kind of monetary incentive to save the planet. Ah, uh, yes. How, how, how do we, how do we leverage, you know, like that makes me think of just like, you know, the, the medical, you know, the, the medical industry of just kind of like, wait, you're sick. We want to profit off that. You know, that's, it. that's uh, exactly right. I want to yeah. help people funnel money into my wallet. Well, and that's, that's something that is going to become a, a bigger conversation here in the, in the coming years, because what we're seeing as it relates to what has to happen with energy use and how it will impact uh, climate change and how it will impact the climate in general just look around the country, what we've seen for, you know, this summer, uh, everything from, you know, heat waves in the Midwest and Oklahoma being over 103 degrees throughout the entire state in, in one day, which was incredible. But the terrible floods that are happening in Kentucky, uh, we saw flooding in Las Vegas. We saw flooding in Arizona. We've seen oh, there was flooding, flooding in, in Chicago while I was in Seattle. Yeah. I if so I all- expense the home repairs on that. This is going to become expensive. <laughs> I, had, I, I, I could have been here to put in sandbags, but I was working in Seattle. So I was working. No, but, <laughs> but this is going to become a very serious conversation. And I think that more people have not, the general public, especially here in the United States, has not really had an understanding of energy for the last hundred years. We've had very cheap and easy to access energy, yep. whether you're talking about gasoline, oil, or electricity for the last hundred years. And we, as a, as a nation, and frankly, you know, again, globally, there's going to be a new conversation around how people understand how that works. Who will lead the charge on that? Well, there are some longstanding companies that have, you know, been driving the conversation about energy for, you know, century, a century or so, and for decades that 
are now looking at it saying, well, I'm, I'm being very just, you know, you know, kind of loosey goosey, but it's like fossil fuel companies have, have run the narrative yeah. and they still run the narrative and that has to change. And I think that if we can get the public to see the value in what the utility companies can do um, as a service for both, not just keeping the lights on, but also yeah. powering how you move, that's a big deal. Well, you know, and it brings up an interesting point, right? Because we talk about John Stewart having a voice on a platform, but like we have a voice in a platform. We have Electrify Expo. 30,000 yep. people have shown up to this, have driven these cars, have been a part of these vehicles, have experienced these e-bikes and these e-scooters. And have all of them walked away happy and smiling. And the show has grown year over year. Every event gets bigger and more fun and more people get involved. I mean, there has to be a way while we're there, while we're in the moment to reach out to the local utilities, to have them be a part of it and have them really understand that there are ways to engage the public in ways that will benefit their business that fit within the regulations and the constraints that they're bound by. And also genuinely advance their their cause and their causes to sell more electricity to people who have e-mobility products. Oh yeah. Well and, and that's and to some utilities because of how they're you know how they're you know mandated you know in certain IOUs they really can't see more quote profit off of you know more electricity being used because of how much they can you know how they're the PUCs manage. But they that. have a political incentive to be seen as active and progressive and yada, yada. Right. Oh, no question. And I, and I think that, and look at the cities where, you know, the expo is taking part in, you've got Los Angeles, you've got Seattle, you've got Miami, you've got New York and you've got Austin. These are all areas where, again, utilities are everywhere and yeah. these are big cities and these are very populous cities. So, and again, to good examples, Austin energy in Austin, they are already very engaged on the conversation of electric, you know, electrification, e-mobility, and that's a good example of, of a city that has a utility that is engaged on it. But there's still opportunity to help more utilities see the role they do play and how they can have a better conversation with the public. And yeah, Electrify Expo is a prime example of, of that opportunity. So hey, if you work for a utility <laughs> or if you've got friends that work at a utility, hey, have them reach out to the Electrify Expo and talk about, hey, well, what cities you guys in? Hey, you're not coming to my city yet? Would you think about coming to our city? Yeah. Oh, we're doing we're doing six next year. That's that's the thing. It's gonna dun, it's dun, gonna dun. keep growing. And but each keep of growing. these each of these cities is gonna create a an opportunity for better engagement with the energy conversation with electric electric utilities. And yeah, that's it's a low it's a low hanging fruit that hasn't been grasped yet. But again, even our work at Chargeway, we see the value in that because we need to translate that conversation to everybody fast. And there's an opportunity for sure, for sure. Now Getting back to what we were talking about earlier about what does the you know the inflation reduction act do? How does this impact what's going to happen on the EV side of it for production? That still has to align with those those needs and and, and how that conversation happens too, right? So um, big big messy industry that there's a lot of happening every single week. <laughs> Man, and you know this was only supposed to be the first topic, but I think uh, I think that's it for the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yeah, we, hit, we we didn't really hit on the the other big uh, what, what else? I guess. There's a $40,000 rebate for large, large <laughs> EVs out there for those who have truck companies. Uh, that's going to be a big deal. That $40,000 one is big because if you look at New York and you look at California, they also have additional rebates and yeah. the different states are coming out with additional rebates for the class eight trucks, which are over 14,000 pounds. If you're a municipal school district and you're struggling oh, yeah. with overhead and you're struggling with maintenance costs and you're struggling with your fuel budget, 
someone giving you 40 grand and then the state stepping up with another 40 grand, all of a sudden it's a lot cheaper to switch to an electric school bus than it was a diesel bus. And, yep. uh, you know, and you're just going to see more retention. You're going to see more driver retention. You're going to see more technician retention. You're going to see fewer absences with kids because they're going to not call out for asthma or pulmonary related issues. It's just going to be better for everyone. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm tired of my tax dollars going to refit B-52s with bigger and better jet engines. It's nice to see them, <laughs> those dollars go into something that I care about. That that right there, it's, and how we all as, as, you know, as, you know, residents of certain states and citizens of the United States, how much we subsidize fossil fuels still, billions and billions oh, of dollars trillions. a year. It was 5.9 yeah, trillion, trillion in 2020. Yeah, that's 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 globally. Yeah, as, globally. As, yes, but, yes. But, but as the United States, we make up a big part of that global subsidy conversation. And, and then you look at how much the Department of Energy is putting into funding for battery development through you know through their programs. Forty three, I think it was forty three million dollars, something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, it's like and it, the difference between a billion and a trillion is so astronomical that people yeah. don't even you know. Like I I posted an article that 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 article that number that five point nine trillion dollars. And the, this woman responded, it was such a, like a boneheaded response. It goes, well, the flip side of the coin is the 1.9 billion spent on EVs. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not the flip side of a coin. That's the flip <laughs> yeah. side of the penny of one penny that, you know, Scrooge McDuck is swimming in, in his pool of gold. Like that is not even close. We're talking about a suitcase full of money versus a football field full of money. Yeah. Like yeah. you have no idea what you're talking about. Thanks. Well, for I coming. always... Yeah, I always use the phrase when I see a good op, you know, a good social media post, visual aids always help explain things better. And I always use that phrase when I share content because to your point, you hear someone say 1.2 billion and 1.2 trillion. The best example is back in the 80s when McDonald's was killing it with the quarter pounder. They were just they were yeah. killing it. And then AW said, All right, we got this. We're gonna come out with the third pounder. And the problem was the general public looked at those two options. Not realizing that, well, a one third pound of meat is more than one quarter pound of meat. That just, wasn't it. That's such a marketing myth. That's 100% not what happened. And he, hear me out. I, okay. I hear you. I hear you. So the, the argument that A&W's marketers will use in a fit of defensiveness is Americans are too <laughs> stupid to know that a third is more than a quarter. That's not what happened. You cannot market a burger that sounds like the turd pounder in North America. Well, there's uh, don't get me wrong that, that that played a vital role in in the issue too. Like uh, it can be bigger, it can be less money, but no, we ain't buying the turd pounder. It, well, the turd pounder is not going to work in this in the same way. Uh, what is it? The Audi e-tron in France, e-tron e in in French is in in the same vein of this conversation. In the same vein of this conversation. Yeah. So no, but but that's part it's of like it. the Chevy Nova in Mexico. Yeah, what does it do? It doesn't go. It doesn't go. Exactly. <laughs> Nova. No, but no, it's 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 how you communicate. And right. we, so often on, on our conversations and, and on the podcast, we talk about how we communicate and how people that don't know anything about this can pr be provided information that helps them understand more effectively, more quickly, and with a lot more confidence. And this is just part of that again and again. Um, which makes me just so excited to always be talking about this stuff because hey. We're talking about what needs to be talked about, which is people need to understand this stuff better. We're talking about what needs to be talked about. So if you want to hear us talk about more stuff that needs to be talked about, we will potentially both be in New York. I think there's hey, like a rumor that you're going to be there. 
That is the game plan right now. Uh, aside from the universe yet again choosing to say no, uh, I will be in New York. It'll be a, it'll something's going to happen to me for this one. Exactly. I do. I don't. I don't know what to do with my hands. What do I do with my hands? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, guys. We will be in New York, August twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Obviously, follow us along on Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us now, just hit subscribe and uh, follow us on, you know, Electrify Expo at social media, Facebook, Twitter. I think we have an Instagram. Do we have a TikTok? Ooh, that's a good question. I would imagine we do. If it, you, if it, if you should start the, the TikTok. Oh, maybe that, that's that's what you need is me TikToking my way through the world. Yeah, Tesky yeah. Talk. <laughs> Tesky TikTok. It's like ooh, it's like the the. Uh, TikTok Tesky. That's the whole that's Ooh, the dance. TikTok Tesky. Yeah, that's that, that's gonna be the dance. Oh, I love it. All right. Yeah. Peace out, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Electrify News Podcast, brought to you by the Electrify Expo, coming to five major cities in 2022. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all the latest in e-mobility news and updates. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.